I think a couple of you know, but I've been teaching this five o'clock Saturday afternoon sit for 14 years now. And I always like to, sometime in August, I always like to reflect on that. I mean, A, I'm a creature of habit. So it's very easy for me to do something week in and week out if, if all the, if the uh, conditions are right to continue with it and it makes sense. But I also like to reflect on, you know, 14 years ago, 2008, um, I'm very, very, very aware of the passage of time right now, this idea of impermanence. It's just so um, very real. And when you stop and you reflect and you think about 2008, George Bush was still president when I started this class. Not, not for very much longer, because Obama was elected in November, but he was still president. And I looked at, because you know you always do these things, what was happening in this year? And I looked up the, the movies were The Dark Knight and the first Iron Man and that horrible Indiana Jones movie, the last one. That was, that was so bad. <laughs> that, was, that was new then, and, and now it's just like a distant nightmare. Um, it was Breaking Bad's first season. Uh, something, you know, The Wire, The Office, Mad Men, 30 Rock, they were all huge. Um, I was working at Xerox. I was working at a, in a corporate office, which was great. I loved, I loved the place I worked. It was a great thing, but that was like, so it feels like so many lifetimes ago, yet, um, it was this, this, this class is a continuum, is a, is a continuum from that time. Um, you know, I was, I was invited to teach. I was invited into teacher training. And um, so I was in the middle of teacher training, and I bumped into someone at um, the Hollywood Farmer's Market, this woman. And I'd been in teacher training for about a year and a half, I think, and close to a year and a half. And I bumped into this woman who used to come and sit. I was that against the stream? And she said, you know why don't you start a class? Because every other class is a male teacher. And it would be nice to have a woman's voice in front of the room. And so I said, okay. So Saturday at five o'clock is um, the time that made the most sense on the schedule. And I started teaching. And I remember uh, I said, I'm gonna start with the life of the Buddha and then take it from there. And I probably went into the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and on and on and on and on. And I remember um, I was terrible. <laughs> I was terrible. I was really a bad, I don't know if I was bad, but I was just, um, I was new. I was nervous. I'd done a lot of training. Um, I'd been in front of rooms mm, a lot of times, but this is very different. And I spent, I think, two solid days listening to podcasts and reading books and making notes and trying to stuff my brain with knowledge so that I would, I would, it was probably way, 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 way too much information that I was trying to pack into uh, a little Dharma talk. And I, I remember at the time talking to a friend who was a yoga teacher and she said when she was a new yoga teacher, she did the same kind of thing created um, a, a class that had like way too many postures in it and it would be impossible to to do it in the time allotted. Um, so 
that was the beginning. And I think one of the, you know, one of the things, there are a couple of the things that stick out for me is, you know, still doing this 14 years later, is there's um, the reason I'm still doing it. And I think I'm hopefully, I don't know, I'm not even going to say hopefully, I know I'm not as awful I was as as I was at the beginning. There, and there's two things that um, went on. One is this willingness, this effort that um, I had, this determination to do this, to understand how this all works. And then the other piece of what had to happen, which is, I th well, you know, willingness and determination you know, it's a parami. It's one of the qualities that are necessary for awakening. And it's also um, necessary in our practice to have this willingness to stay with something. We have such a, we live in such a instant gratification culture that so often people try something for a month or two months and go, eh, it doesn't work. Or, eh, it's getting too hard. I'm going to go over there, see if I like that better. And we give up on things. And, you know, Bhikkhu Bodhi, in, the, in his preface to his book, The Noble Eightfold Path, talks about that. We so often jump from one thing to another. And you have to be willing to stay with. And so I was willing to stay with the class. But also, as a teacher... There's a necessity to be integrated with the teachings. And by that, I mean let them percolate and have an experiential awareness rather than a, a, a whole bunch of book knowledge around it. Um, I can, you know, name off the, the, a lot of the lists, the main, the major lists, um, but I'm not a, 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 a sutta reciter. That's not a strong suit of mine. I can't, you know, recite passages from the, the Pali Canon. Um, but that's not what it's about. I, can, I know at times I have become, I have been um, intimidated by people who can because they seem so smart and it's meanwhile and they may be but oftentimes it's just they have that that type of memory that allows them to um with uh, hold that hold that information and so the the journey of these 14 years has not just been about showing up every week and turning on the lights and coming up with a talk and leading a meditation but it's been about being willing to um really dive into the Dharma and dive into the Dharma in my own life because I was, um, there were, for a number of years, I was, I was told that I wasn't ready for prime time. I could teach on my little Saturday class, but I wasn't really ready to teach um, on the bigger, the larger classes or do day-longs because I wasn't able to um, really connect with the teachings. I could do it intellectually. And it was about being willing to let go. Um, what, what I was thinking about um, the other day, um, 
you know, this is a this is a transform transformative practice. The Vasudhi Maga, um, the the kind of compilation, the analytical compilation of the Buddhist teachings, calls it the path of purification. You know, we we take those things that are um, not so beneficial and we burn them off and sitting in the fire of the present time of the present moment we're really willing to be in the heat of the moment without running away without using any of our our tools or armoring to deflect and defend and and um, push away the discomfort last week i talked about grief and loss in my talk and how to be that with that um, that was something I wasn't really connected to when I started teaching, to sit with those emotions. I could talk about them intellectually, but to really have the experience of sitting in the fire, of turning towards the things that are so challenging. You know, it was about a lot of coming to terms, and, and our practice is coming to terms with our conditioning, coming to terms with my conditioning, coming to terms with who I thought I was, my story about me, my story about who I thought I should be, um, my story about what I thought the world should be, and be willing to allow that to just you know, be willing to um, let go, let go of all of those stories. And it takes practice. What, what, are, what are the stories? You know, so many of us, I've heard so many uh, from so many people, you know, the, the stories that we're unlovable or we're inadequate or, you know, whatever, oftentimes painful stories from deep, deep wounding um, that we experienced in our lifetime, um, places that still hurt and places that we've spent a lot of time um, creating defenses for. I was very, very defended, and which is why I really love the idea of an undefended heart. And so maybe for me, these last 14 years, I, it wasn't my intention at the outset. It was something that I came to after a few years of practice is this willingness to live with an undefended heart. What is that? You know, it's, it's a recognition of the defense, defenses and a willingness to let them go and be fully present for whatever shows up. Last week I talked about the grief around my father's death. That was never acknowledged. You know, he died when I was five and I was in my 40s before I actually acknowledged that it was a thing. But it was there and it colored so much of my world and so much of my uh, how I moved through the world and how I reacted. And it's all these things. We have to be willing to open to this pain um, and open to the joy. I always have to put that too because sometimes we're unable to experience joy. And we have to be willing to recognize our conditioning and be willing to let it go, you know. Even when things are painful, even when these stories cause so much grief and sorrow or, or discomfort, suffering, to coin a word, um, when there's so much dukkha that we create ourselves the second hour, the third hour, the fourth hour, the fifth hour, you know, um, 
even when it's like that, it's oftentimes really hard to let it go because it's what we know. And it's much easier to hold on to the discomfort and to let it go because what would that mean? What will it mean if we say no or let go of our, our, our stories? What will it mean? And this is where the beauty of the Buddha's teachings is. He offered us a path. The Four Noble Truths. There is suffering. There's death. There's loss. This stuff happens. How do you hold it? How do you greet it? How do you recognize the human condition? You know? And the, the, I have found, and what's been true for me, is all these things get stripped away, and what I thought I knew, and, and all my, my great ideas are just kind of like left in, the, left in the dirt, because it's like, really? How did I ever think that? You know, my head, my thoughts and reality were in two different rooms. And now they're much, much closer together. They don't always meet, but they're a hell of a lot closer than they used to be. Um, when I was in the middle of letting all that stuff burn away, it, it was these teachings that were like this safety net. If you think of trapeze artists, um, there's a net that they, they can fall into if they fall. And that's what I feel these teachings are, the Eightfold Path. What's, 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 what's the um, really wise and skillful thing to do right now? What's the beneficial thing to do right now? What takes me away from suffering rather than towards suffering? You know, and then there's the whole teaching around sila and how to be in the world. And I truly believe that living in a way that doesn't cause harm to myself or others, living for the benefit of all beings, is the way to go. So if I believe that truthfully and fully, then these, this Eightfold Path and these teachings around ethical behavior is perfect. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fully commit, intentionally live my life with... Um, uh, friendliness, with compassion, with goodwill, and with renunciation of a continual willingness to let go of what is, causes suffering. And I get to see that every day. You know, and sometimes things, when I have an awareness of them, they, they disappear right away. Um, there's an insight, and it's like, oh my gosh, I, had never, I never saw that before, and it kind of falls away. Other things hang out for decades. I mean, I, y'all have heard me talk about this sarcasm. My deep, deep, dear friend, I have been on a 20-plus year journey of extricating myself from that, that, that tongue that can slice you to pieces in a, in a split second. I am way more less sarcastic than I used to be but it still comes out and but it, and it causes harm and I just I have the renunciation is I don't want to cause harm I'm willing to let go of this thing that I thought was such a huge part of me that gave me an identity because I was good at I'm from New York so you know I, I had a conversation with somebody and we said just the northeast United States is this big ball of sarcasm and so I, you know, I come by it and it's just natural. It's how we talk to each other. It's, you know, my cousin Vinny, the movie with Joe Pesci makes me really homesick. And um, because that's, that's how we interact. And it was really good at it and really funny. 
And so it gave me an identity. And I realized that identity, A, is false, it's created, it's conditioned, and it's harmful. Can I let it go? And just piece by piece by piece over these decades, I've been able to pretty much let it go. Pretty much. And when I'm really, when I'm mindful, I, I ask myself sometimes, is it necessary? That one, one of the, the pieces of wise speech, is it necessary? Usually it's not necessary. Uh, pretty much always it's not necessary. So. so these teachings will work on us. We'll let the Dharma work on us if we commit to it. And so as I moved through working, you know, really um, getting deeper into the practice, sitting retreats, working with teachers, reading um, um doing, doing, you know, following the path, following suggestions, because I can't, um, I'm, we don't do this alone, you know, there's the, the refuge in the Sangha, refuge of, uh, you know, those, those, uh, those wise folks who have come before, who are willing to point things out and say, you know what, that doesn't really work, maybe you should go over in this direction, and, and being, um, humble enough to say, okay, and um, really, there's a tremendous amount of great uh, gratitude for that practice. And so when I think of these 14 years that I've been offering the, this Saturday afternoon sit, I see also that journey of integration of the teachings so that it's no longer just me spewing information that I've read in a book, but there's also the ability to share the experience that I've had with these teachings and the transformation that has come by the willingness to, to um, follow this path to the best of my ability. And I'm not done yet. I'm going to keep moving in that direction, you know, and we can all be held by this container. It's a very pragmatic um, path. And I hope my, the way I offer the teachings is, is pragmatic. How does this work in your life today? You know, And continue to let go, continue to cultivate that don't know mind. It's when we have all the answers that we're probably not gonna do so well. You know, we let go of those shoulds, those coulds, those woulds. Um, I was, uh, I was talking about this the other night and somebody in the class mentioned the Kalama Sutta, which is a really famous sutta about when the Buddha went to, uh, a village of the Kalamas and they, you know, they said, okay, every week a wise, a wise person comes by and tells us that their way is the best way, you know, my way or the highway. So what's your spiel? And the Buddha said, basically, he said, you know what, you have to find out for yourself, as I was saying, what leads you away from suffering, what leads you on this path of liberation. And don't believe it just because I say it. You know, see for yourself. See for yourself with this, with this, and not not just reading books, but you know, actually doing the practice as as much as you can. Again, it's like reading cookbooks and not actually 
eating a meal. It's like you got you actually one day you just gotta throw everything in a mixing bowl and uh, stick it in the oven and then eat it. Otherwise, you're just reading cookbooks. Um, you have to sit. You have to be willing to feel the feelings. You have to be willing to turn towards the the challenges that, and chip away at those stories, chip away at that armor, chip away at that conditioning. Um, and then one of my very, very, very favorite things that I've heard recently was I was sitting a retreat with Bhikkhu Analio last year. And if you know who he is, he's a very wise man. He's this scholar who's written a whole bunch of books on uh, the teachings and translated a whole bunch of texts. And he said, the sum of the Buddha's teachings can be uh, whittled down to five letters. L-E-T-G-O. Let go. And I went, yes, L-E-T-G-O. Ajahn Sumedho has a wonderful piece about letting go, and he said he did a practice for two years where all he did was let go. Anything that came into his mind, he just let go. So practice letting go. you got to continue to practice letting go. I have to, I, I keep thinking I have to get let go tattooed on my arm, and then maybe I'll just let go of that idea that I have to get let go of, of getting tattooed on my arm. You know, it's just... It's, it's let go, let go, let go. There's so much ease when you can let go. It doesn't mean we don't work to end injustice. It doesn't mean we don't do what needs to be done. It doesn't mean any of those things. But I love the phrase, wear the world as a loose garment. It kind of fits in with that. Let go of the clinging. Let go of the aversion. Just show up. Show up for the present moment and do, um, do what needs to be done. So... You know, I invite you to reflect on where you've been for the last, you know, years, how, where you've been in, you know, how this practice has changed you. Um, I think it's really worthwhile. And I remember, um, I can't remember who it was who said, I think it was the Dalai Lama who said, check in with your spiritual practice every 10 years or so and see where you've been. And so I think 14 years is also a good number to check in with spiritual practice. And I try and do, I kind of tend to do it every year around this time. Every, if I'm still teaching the five o'clock class on Saturdays and every August at some point, I, I check in and see, see what's up. So thank you, thank you, my friends, for uh, letting me ramble these few minutes. I really appreciate it. And um, I hope it's been of some benefit. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.